Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders sponsored by Faith Lead at Luther Seminary. Pivot invites church leaders to use disruptive moments to reimagine how they think about church, ministry, and leadership. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton from Luther Seminary, and I'm here today with Dr. Alicia Granholm and our guest, Matt Short. Alicia, welcome. Thank you, Terry. Yes, I'm super excited to be here with our third episode. And I would like to take time right now to introduce our guest today. Matt Short is the assistant to the bishop for Evangelical Mission for the Greater Milwaukee Synod, ELCA. And this synod actually went through the Faithful Innovation Train the Trainer process, which is where we train judicatory staff to take their own congregations through the faithful innovation process. And so the staff of the Greater Milwaukee Synod went through this process years ago and really were early adopters of faithful innovation with Luther Seminary. So we're really looking forward to our conversation today with Matt and hearing how that has impacted and transformed the Synod and congregations in the Greater Milwaukee Synod. And our theme today is why innovation in the church? So Matt, why innovation in the church? Well, I think because it's just part of who we've always been, like for 2000 years, it's part of who uh, we as the church were created to be. If you think about what innovation actually is, it's it's actually, you know, just to try and demystify it, I know a lot of times we have this idea that innovation is this kind of wonky thing that is basically just a business term, probably associated with technology. But really, if you just look up the dictionary definition of it, it is to renew. And when I read that, you know, to make new connections, essentially, and when I read that, the thing that came to my mind, because it's already one of my favorite passages, is uh, Revelation 21. Uh, when it says, the one who sits on the throne says, behold, I make all things new. That has been true for a really long time, long before Silicon Valley ever existed or um, the modern uses of innovation. So, I think about it as simply every generation for 2,000 years now has found new ways to tell the old, old story, right? And it's essentially a task of kind of cultural translation, right? So, in every new generation, we take these beautiful truths that have held the people of God for generations, and we simply find new ways to articulate them so that it speaks in the vernacular of the people who live now. Uh, and that is, that's the thing that I'm most energized by as a pastor, as a preacher. That's what I love about preaching, is the invitation to try to articulate these things in the vernacular. Um, so that it feels like it applies to our everyday life. So, I think, honestly, if we think about the root of innovation being to build new bridges between things, to make new connections, I also think it's kind of connected to what happens in our brains. You know, brain scientists tell us that neuroplasticity is a thing, right? That our brains have this ability for the neurons to make new connections, and that's how new ideas come. So, that's basically all that's happening, right, is we are looking for places to build bridges between things, that maybe didn't used to have a bridge between them. And I feel like that work of being a bridge builder in small ways and in grand ways is just deeply connected to who we are as the people of God. Hey, Matt, I have so many things I want to talk to you about. I love that. A couple things I want to highlight that you said that resonate with what I teach with the innovation class that I teach at Luther Seminary is 
the whole sense of we have a never-changing gospel always being communicated in an ever-changing world. And Scott Carmode just kind of puts you over the head with that in his book on the church innovation a million times. But it's so true, right? This is That's not a new thing. Now, we have uh, a world that's changing faster, right? So, some of this work has to happen at, in quicker in, increments, right? We have to do it more often, be that adapting. So, that's the first thing that I really highlight. And, and I love this connection to scripture, the sense of God is making new in creation and in restoring, right? There's a reconciliation as well as a, as a new creation kind of piece that comes with that. The third thing I want to ask you about is often when, when I get this, I have students three times reflect on how their understanding of innovation is changing from the beginning of the course to the end, and then what that means for ministry. And what's interesting, as we engage innovation theory, not theology, but theory, what's interesting is innovation as a discipline, creativity and new ideas is a small part of the whole. Most of it, I mean, it's the public part, it's the part we see, but a huge part is if a new idea a new practice isn't adopted by a community or a person or a, it's it's not an innovation it's it's a idea right and it's it kind of blew blew with the wind and when you were talking i thought isn't that the invitation to discipleship we're invited to a new way of thinking and seeing the world and new practices that transform and inform us right so talk about the adoption or the beyond the idea, if you could, maybe with a story or how you see it in your ministry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> likewise, now I'm feeling super energized by something you just said. I love that you said that God makes all things new, even in creation, because immediately my mind went to what happens every spring. The thing I love about that is it reminds us that this is not a modern phenomenon, and it's not primarily based in us individually being able to be smart enough to come up with creative new ideas. And so, actually, as we do this work, I try really hard to never let the word creative come out of my mouth because people tend to think like, oh, this is the work of creative, innovative people. No, this is literally just the work of like I said before, of of speaking in the vernacular, of building genuine relationships that look like accompaniment, not institutional paternalism. That's a whole other thing we could talk about, right? And it's reinserting God into our language. That's one of the, the basic practices that I have found absolutely transformative personally in my work with congregations. Uh, it's an issue with the time that we are living in when we have such an overfocus on individualism and we still have in the back of our minds this kind of cultural myth of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps the rugged individualist etc the lone wolf who becomes the successful entrepreneur i think all of those scripts actually fight against the genuine call to discipleship like what you were talking about discipleship isn't something that we do solo um, so that's that's some of the the stuff that really motivates me when I'm talking with folks is, and one of the things that I think is a real gift in the faithful innovation learning community training process, as Luther has kind of formatted it, 
this way of putting congregations and lay leaders from congregations in the room together and then mixing them up and having them talk about what they're experiencing, there is always, every single time, this huge unleash of energy, like nuclear fission, like just huge unleash of energy as people realize, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. Every congregation is dealing with this, or at least the ones in this room are, because we have framed things so much as that same individualism mindset then goes to framing our congregations as competitors with each other, kind of like, you know, different stores in a a chain, right? So like a McDonald's and a second McDonald's down the street, they're actually competing with each other because they're each trying to get the customers. And goodness, that's not how the church works. So back to what you were asking about, like the implementation. And I would probably have one other thing to put around that. And that is that in our work in innovation in the church, I think we have to continue to keep coming back to the biblical narrative. That has to be where we start every single time, because this isn't a business practice to save the institution of the church. This isn't a thing that is only for creative people. This is what it looks like to be the church in the 21st century. And actually, you know, our our ancestors in the faith probably wouldn't have used the language of innovation, but this is what it has looked like to be the people of God for 2,000 years. I find that way of framing it is really empowering for people to say, this is just discipleship. This is just how we are following Christ in our daily lives, making connections between our daily lives and the deep truth that we talk about for 60 minutes on Sunday morning, we have somehow stumbled into a very compartmentalized mindset, right? Where that thing that we do for 60 minutes on Sunday morning is beautiful, and maybe it gives me what I need for the week and all of that, but it's, it is not just deeply interconnected into the way I live my everyday life. And the thing I love about the language and the practices and everything around faithful innovation as Luther has framed it is that it helps to break some of that down. Here's a key example. The process of dwelling in the Word and dwelling in the same Scripture for an extended period of time, I have seen that one of the side effects of that, one of the beautiful side effects of that is, it starts to break down our instrumental and utilitarian view of Scripture. Like, I've heard that scripture. I've heard several sermons on it. I've studied that one in Bible study. I've squeezed all the juice out of it that I can. I understand the meaning of that scripture. So, done. I don't really need to hear it on that one again. And the reason I love that is, at least in, in our implementation of the process, there's always a handful of folks who push back against that practice a little bit because they're like, oh, we're going to dwell in the same scripture we did last time and the same scripture we did the time before. Haven't we already kind of played that one out? And then I could sit and make an intellectual argument with them about how the living, the word of God is living and active, right? But instead of making an intellectual argument, we just do it together. And so we learn best by doing. And when we all sit in a room and we say, no, just trust the process, we're going to stay in the same scripture for nine months, people actually live into the truth and learn by doing that God has something new every single time. I have done dwelling in the Word on Acts 16 more times than I can count, and still, the Spirit has new things to teach me. That, I think, produces in me an appropriate level of humility, like theological humility, that 
it is not my intellectual mastery of the scriptures. God is still speaking through all of this. And that's an example of how I think one of the basic practices actually helps us learn by doing. I will say this, when our staff went through the train the trainer work with Luther, we also not long after that went through a dialogue education training. And basically the entire concept of dialogue education in terms of how to teach adults is that you don't learn best by sitting and listening to somebody, you learn by doing. And so every learning session and should contain no more than 50% of someone talking, he says, as he gives a really long-winded explanation. That there, So now, like when we do synod events, um, our bishop has encouraged us, and I think rightly so, that no more than 50% of any learning session should be the people in front talking. Because we don't, we simply, adults don't learn by listening, they learn by doing. Matt, I love that. And so many thoughts that I'm thinking about right now, but I kind of want to piggyback on something that you just said. And I'd love for you to share a little more, if there is, about how the faithful innovation process framework has informed maybe the identity of your, your synod. Yeah, absolutely. And not just the identity of the synod, but also everything about the way I do my job as an assistant to the bishop. So let's start with the identity of the synod. Around this same time, we also went through a mission, vision, values, and practices document. Um, We went through the, the creation of that approved at a synod assembly. And the four core values were curiosity, courage, compassion, and collaboration. That first one is huge, curiosity. And so that has become uh, part of how we as in staff, but certainly as we talk with folks, how we all try to approach something that seems like we're not going to be able to find our way through it. How do we first lean in with curiosity instead of just reaction or fear or whatever else? So that it, it really has played into the identity of the entire synod. In terms of practices, I have noticed that the basic practices of faithful innovation, which, you know, a handful of those I would list as ground everything in dwelling in the word, right, which undoes this instrumental view of scripture, begin with listening all the time, begin with listening, which is part of that curiosity piece. Make sure that you are inserting God as the subject of your language. So the way Luther has framed that is ask God questions. Here's a brief story about how that was transformative. Uh, Several of those were transformative. We had two congregations who had both called the same pastor halftime each, right? So this is not a new thing. It happens all across the ELCA. We've got two smaller congregations that were sharing a pastor, and he worked at each one halftime. For years, those two had not talked about merger or consolidation or anything else. They were two smaller churches who happened to be sharing the same pastor. Well, that started to shift over time. They started to think more and more about how could we maybe be stronger together. And there was a meeting that I was called into, and this is kind of typical of of what happens with synod staff. Sometimes things are already, the train's already left the station, there's already a process in place, and then we get called in to come in and make sure that it finds a healthy resolution, right? So the two councils 
of these two congregations were going to have a meeting together. And they called me to come help guide that meeting so that they could leave that meeting with a plan for how they were going to either merge or consolidate or whatever. I'm not that smart. <laughs> Maybe there are some assistants to the bishop who are, but like in one meeting to come in and just see, there's so many complex identity issues. Are you talking about both letting go of your old identities and creating a new third identity together? Is one of them actually secretly hoping that the other one is going to close and just become a part of them, et cetera, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of emotions to, to pay attention to. And when I came in the room, they wanted me to guide it like a business meeting, right? I think that was the expectation. Here are the best practices of what we've seen work in other churches. And now let's do this. Here's the five-step process. We've got an answer. And I came in and said, we're going to dwell in Acts 16 for like 30 or 40 minutes. And at first, I think folks were really like, come on, buddy, really a Bible study? That's where, no, we've got business to attend to, you know. But they're tremendous people. And they 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 followed my lead. We embraced that. We spent 30, 45 minutes you know, dwelling in the Word in Acts 16, made all of our lists of what we were seeing God do. And then what I noticed over the course of that meeting was, as they would ask questions about what should we do, they were always in the subject of the verbs, right? What should we do? And that makes us feel like we have to be so creative, so smart, so faithful, whatever, to figure this out on our own. And when you switch to making God the subject of the verbs, I notice, and it took quite a bit of time in the meeting of me just gently reframing the questions every time they would get asked, I would reframe them to put God in the driver's seat and say, what might the Spirit be nudging us to consider? And the tentative language there, I've found really helpful too. What might the Spirit be nudging us to consider allows us the opportunity to guess and not have to be right. So, I noticed there was a high level of anxiety in the room that night. And every time I gently reframed the language, the anxiety level dropped a little bit. And there was a moment, and I cannot put my finger on it, which tells me it was the movement of the Spirit. There was a moment in the meeting where the mood of the meeting shifted, like someone flipped a switch. Finally, we had asked God questions enough that the anxiety level just plummeted. And all of a sudden, you had two councils talking about how God could use them, what the Spirit was leading them to consider. And it was just beautiful. And that wasn't an official nine-month walk through the faithful innovation process, but it was an example of where the practices completely transformed what most folks who were in attendance probably thought was going to be a church business meeting, probably were afraid it was going to be somewhat contentious. And it just shifted the whole energy when we acknowledged the leading of the Spirit. But it took a lot of reframing. Two things when you were talking were in my head. One of them is I was on synod staff for three years, and I remember walking into some of those meetings. <laughs> so my anxiety was going, yep, I know what that is. But also my experience, and, and I'm going to put these two together so you can respond to both of them at the same time. But my experience was when I could shift from the problem at hand, which had varying levels of urgency, like I literally had a fight that I had. I mean, that was pretty high. But there, you know, we often get called in when there's anxiety and there's something urgent. And so when I could shift it 
to let's pray, let's be in the scripture, these, these faithful, ancient practices that bring God into the conversation that remind us who we are and where our foundation is, even in the midst of craziness, has this moment. So my question is this, and then say if this resonates with you in, in a larger way, even beyond maybe faithful innovation practices, is how do you meet congregations or people maybe within congregations, leadership within congregations that are resisting this kind of change and help them move to acceptance and maybe even embracing. I think there's a moment when there's a real challenge at hand that they're listening, like what you just said. But maybe if that didn't work, what would be the next thing you do? Or if they're not listening, what are some ways you would help move that? Or would you just wait until they got urgent enough to join you? What would you say about that? Honestly, one of the things, one of the basic practices that is cooked into faithful innovation, but is also just very, very much a part of who we are as disciples of Jesus, as evidenced in that Acts 16 story, right? They, they just keep showing up places and listening to people. They don't show up places and try to hand a brochure out it turned out that God was doing something through Lydia that wrapped in the apostles, right? Um, so, they just show up at a place they supposed would be a place of prayer. And it turns out God was busy doing something in Lydia's heart. So, honestly, I have come to think of any kind of pushback or quote-unquote resistance as really just our collective, and I can share a piece of this too, our collective habituation to institutional thinking. Like, we're just not used to jumping to faith language first. We're used to jumping to budget language, strategic planning language, what's the next best thing that's going to help save the church kind of language. But when you frame it as this is something we've been doing for 2,000 years, this is part of who we are as the people of God, I find the resistance drops. Anything that, that could be seen as resistance really does fade away. And if it doesn't, then I try to live into the exact same practices I'm encouraging other people to do, and that is I start with listening. So, if the resistance is still there, then I take a moment and try to think about what are some good, rich questions that I can ask and really just listen to their answers. So, what is it that you're afraid of? What's your biggest hope for this? Those sorts of questions and then to start framing a few questions around God's activity, right? So, where have you sensed God's presence in the past in this ministry? Let's celebrate that. Let's remember that God has always been with you as a way to say, that's not going to change now, even though this gigantic challenge is in front of you. The thing I have to be careful about is I don't ever want to minimize the gigantic challenges or demonize the people who are offering the resistance or pushback. It is simply them trying to faithfully steward the gift that was handed on to them by their parents or grandparents. And I will never forget walking with a congregation right after I stepped into the into this role on Synod staff. There was a congregation who had, had an interim pastor, and through their process work of needing to prepare their ministry site profile to start looking for the next pastor, they really came to the conclusion that, you know what, we are there are too few of us. We are tired. We are older. We think we need to close. Hey, assistant to the bishop, will you come in and help us with that? And I had been in the job for, you know, 
I was counting in months at that point. The thing I will never forget is that the evening, the first evening I was with them, I saw in their responses, in their kind of slumped shoulders and the exhaustion, there was an unexpressed shame that somehow this model of church worked for our grandparents and our parents. But when it came to our time, when it was on our watch, we must have messed it up somehow. And so for me to be able to articulate for them the huge cultural changes and the fact that the ground had shifted beneath their feet and it was not their fault, but they also weren't alone, that every single generation has faced these kinds of monumental changes. I saw the deep breath and the, I saw people, I saw the relief on people's faces for me to be able to say, the cultural changes are not your fault. The question is, how are we being faithful in this moment with what we're facing? That's it. That's your question. Your question isn't how do you force this institution to survive? It is how are you being called to be faithful with what God's handed on to you? That congregation ended up closing and gifting all of its assets in various places and finding quite a bit of joy in that. Matt, give us a story or two as we close here and move into our practice. Yeah, there's a couple short stories that really, in my mind, capture the power of listening first, of taking that accompaniment stance that looks very much like being a disciple. We had one congregation that was a part of our nine-month training through Faithful Innovation, as we had learned uh, through Luther, and they were participating in a community festival right? So they had a booth at an outdoor park where all these other groups, some of them churches, some of them whatever, different community groups, everybody had these booths. And they were, they happened to be seated next to a booth and the pastor just told me it was for Saint something or other. She was not about to throw another church under the bus, right? But this was a great story of juxtaposing the approach. So Saint something or other had brochures and they were stepping out past their table and trying to hand the brochures to people. And right next to them was our congregation. And they had a big sign that said, Penny for your thoughts. We want to listen to you. And they had chairs set up back by the table. So one was clearly inviting you in. One was clearly coming at you. And the pastor told me that she watched people walk by and she watched their faces as they scanned the two tables and chose to come to hers. So, one of the quotes that I heard at a Faithful Innovation Summit that has changed me, and I've repeated a thousand times since, was from David Augsburger, that quote about, for most people, feeling heard is so close to feeling loved that the two are indistinguishable. If we can help people feel heard, then I think we are behaving like disciples. Matt, I so appreciate you sharing that story. And I love hearing how different congregations contextualize the faithful innovation practices and framework in their own context. And the practice that we want to introduce today is dwelling in the world. And when we're beginning to name what God might be up to in our midst, this simple practice of reflecting on everyday activities can really help us begin to name God's presence and activity. And so dwelling in the world is a simple practice really of reflecting on God's movement in our daily lives. And oftentimes it's really helpful to do with conversation partners. 
Step one is simply to reflect. And oftentimes if we're doing this, you know, with other people or in a group setting, offering several minutes of silence to allow people to reflect can be really helpful. And we simply want to ask people to reflect on the previous week. When was there a time when you had an opportunity to share God's peace with someone? This could have been a friend, a stranger, a colleague, a neighbor, a family member. Go back and imaginatively enter into that encounter. What might God have been up to there? And if you were to reconnect with that person, what might God want to do? And then step two is simply to share and listen. If we're in person, we can find a partner. Sometimes we introduce that as finding a reasonably friendly looking stranger. Or if we're online, we might just be sent into a breakout with someone who also could be a stranger. And then just spend several minutes sharing the story and reflections with each other. And then step three is just to regather and listen again. So those who feel led might share highlights of their stories, wonderings, reflections with the larger group, or with the permission from your listening partner, you might share what your listening partner's highlights were from their story. So I think it'd be great right now if we could each briefly share a reflection from our week or even perhaps another time that we've engaged in this practice. So I got my COVID booster. Well, that was a story in and of itself, but I'm going to tell you part of it because it it gives me the God part. I went to my scheduled time and there were no boosters. They said, sorry, you weren't told. We had to cancel for all today. And I'm so, it was a Thursday. I was so frustrated and I was going out of town and there was no, nothing until Christmas. And so I was frustrated with that time. So anyway, so I looked online and we were going out of town and I thought, is there a place by where I'm going out of town? There was. So I go to do my booster. So I'm feeling like already a gift with that. And then the encounter I had with what I later learned was this Jewish young adult man. I mean, he was probably 20, 21. I don't know. And the graciousness that he met me and the encounter that we had, we had to do it a couple of times to do the paperwork on the front end and gets it. And then he gives me my shot and all this stuff. And I left feeling blessed. I was so frustrated at the first time. And I, I, I wanted to yell at that pharmacist person. And I just held it back because it wasn't her fault, right? But I was just so frustrated. And then to receive this gift in this other was a time from, and how I found out my kids are like, how did you find out mom that this is a Jewish person? She goes, forget it. I, you would have figured it out. You guys would have gotten there in your little five minute exchange. So it was this blessing and encounter that was really fun. So I often experience God in and around feelings of gratitude. I often feel like that is when I am at my best and when I'm at my most spiritually grounded is when I am feeling gratitude or, or trying to like actively cultivate that. And this happened this week and reminds me that that is where God shows up in my life often. There was uh, one of the times I was commuting and for whatever reason, this one particular colleague came to my mind who I have worked with quite a bit. This person had just like responded really quickly to this request I had. I know it's right before Christmas. And so I know everybody's busy, but I have this request because it'll help me move my project forward. 
and they responded like within 20 minutes or something. So I was driving and I just was thinking about how grateful I am for them. And I thought, everyone likes to hear that. I'm going to call them. So I called and it turned out I called at exactly the moment this person was feeling so overwhelmed. They were sitting in their car outside their office in tears because they didn't want to walk in. And that's the moment I called to tell them how grateful I was. There is no way I could have known that, that they needed a word at that point. And so that was one of those moments where it was just so clearly, the only thing I did was follow the intuition of gratitude. But that was clearly where God was connecting us that day. Last weekend, my husband and I uh, got away for about 18 hours on our own without our two small children. And it's the first time in 23 months. So let me say it was very long overdue. And we got to our hotel, which was not far from home, but it did not matter. It was a, a place away for a night. And it was the longest line I have ever seen in a hotel lobby in my life. And for the last two decades, I have traveled a lot and I have been to hotels all over the world and I have never seen a line this long. And we hesitated. We're like, should we just put our stuff in the car and come back later? What do we do? But we thought, let's just get in line. And it was slow, as you can imagine, uh, for a variety of reasons. Namely, there were so many people. But when we were a few people away, um, someone like rudely started yelling. And it was just becoming kind of this contentious environment. And I felt so badly for the people who were helping check everyone in. And so, you know, I didn't want to take a lot of time. I wanted to go through as quickly as possible when we when it was our turn to check in and get our keys. And at the same time, wanted somehow to be able to just give a smile through my mask face and, you know, little smiles with my eyes or something and have an encounter if possible with whoever was going to check us out. That would be just a moment of peace and blessing for them. And we just had the, a simple interaction with the woman who checked us in. But we were so intentional. We made sure to be so intentional in our interaction of just conveying, you know, dignity and worth and value. And we could just tell through her demeanor that she just kind of brightened up for a few minutes that she interacted with us. And, you know, sometimes it's just those small ways that we know that God wants to work in and through our interactions with people. And I was just so grateful that while we didn't love being in the long line. We did love that we were able to brighten her day. What I love about both of your stories and probably in mine as well, the sense of attentiveness. Now, I don't think I thought at the moment, maybe as quickly as the two of you, that this was a God moment. But in the invitation to reflect or to regularly reflect, which I do do, kind of like you met gratitude has been a really transformative practice for me. And so I often will look back on the day, the week, the the season, whatever time it is, and think, and a lot of gratitude comes in the little, the little things, noticing or being intentional, like Alicia, what you were to say, I could either accelerate this anxiety or, or contribute in a not helpful way, or I could actually see the humans here and try and it make it a little bit more humane in some way. 
I think, Matt, when you were talking about dwelling in the word, I was thinking about dwelling in the world, which is a harder practice, I think, for us in some ways as Christians, because, or at least I will say in the congregations that I and leaders that I've talked with, because scripture is a central piece. But we're a little more hesitant to say, where's God at work in the world? That might that you said earlier. But there's something about dwelling in the familiar, not only of a story we've heard, but in the familiar of our neighborhood, in the familiar of the same grocery store or town or colleague or whatever that's in front of us and saying, might God show up? And the incarnation actually says, yes, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. One of my favorite jazz on this practice, Alicia, is to invite people, like in one meeting, between one meeting and the next, to either to dwell in their front yard, like just just take a cold one and whatever, or a hot one if it's a cold time of the year, and sit outside. And what do you see? Who walks by? What do you notice about what's happening? And to look at it with a lens of what God might be up to, or to do that in a congregational location right? To just sit outside. And just like your pastor, Matt, of the story you said, noticed how people responded to different kinds of, it's that kind of eyes that I want to develop and say, I want to be more curious about how to make genuine connections with people to see what might be on their hearts or what might be struggles. And that that value of curiosity, Matt, that your synod has has embraced would be, wow, such a gift, I think, for us as people of faith and as congregations and and the church in its organizational expressions. Matt, it's been a delight to talk with you today. I feel like we could keep going, not only in your stories, but also in this grounding, the way you've woven innovation into a life of faith and the calling of the church really has been has been helpful. And it's fun. Next week, we are going to start going into different practices that actually ground faithful innovation. And next week, we're going to actually talk about listening. So we thank you for joining us today and tune in next week for Pivot on Listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources, Go to faithpluslead.luthersem.edu.